You're listening to the Multifamily Market Watch for Washington State. Apartment owners who need to know, trust HFO. The leading source for multifamily industry news around the state, from Puget Sound to the Tri-Cities. Hey, I'm Greg Frick, partner at HFO Investment Real Estate. Today we have back with us Brad Krause of Warner Allen, one of the permanent uh, landlord-tenant uh, lawyers here in the Northwest. Uh, thanks for coming back to talk to us today. Brad, I was going to think we're going to highlight a little bit about the state of Washington. Um, and talk a little bit about, you know, as we've talked about before off camera, their, you know, landlord-tenant law, the regulations kind of were a little tougher to deal with the last couple of years, but, uh, you know, maybe that's coming back a little bit. I don't want to say coming to center, but getting a little bit easier and maybe highlight what's changed in 23 and compare it a little bit to the state of Oregon as well. Thanks for having me. Uh, the state of Washington landlord-tenant uh, realm is getting a little bit more close to normalcy as, uh, you know, some pre-COVID uh, folks that remember the pre-COVID times. Um, as everybody who, who's dealt with evictions and, and non-payment matters in Washington probably remembers, uh, through most of or through all of COVID, uh, we had the the eviction resolution pilot program, and then we right. also had uh, repayment plan obligations that were required. Um, the the eviction resolution pilot program obligations uh, those sunset as of July one. So uh, that sort of situation and that obligation has has now gone away. So um, that's very beneficial because that was that was a real drag on the process. It often added weeks, uh, sometimes uh, in the early goings, months to the process. Um, the repayment plan obligations have subsided with respect to any rents that are due and owing from May of this year forward. Um, so if, for example, your non-payment notice um, only includes you know, June or, and July's rent, um, if you were gonna serve that notice today, uh, all you'd be required to serve is a non-payment notice. Um, so we're back to just that, thankfully. So if you're dealing with you know, somebody that has a non-payment issue from April, do you recommend that they just kind of not deal with that and just file for you know stuff from May 1st and on? Does that make it easier? Well, it, it does in the sense that if, if you include amounts from April, let's say you have a tenant that hasn't paid rent for April, May, June, and July. Uh-huh. Um, the moment that you include the April rent in that notice, you are still required to offer a reasonable repayment plan for that. I got you. Okay. But if, if you remove the April from that and you just include May, June, and July in the non-payment notice, then there is no non or there is no repayment plan obligation that's required there. So um, it puts you in a little bit of a stronger position. Gotcha. Okay. And that's a big change for Washington. I mean, like you said, during COVID, they were it was very difficult up there in dealing with some of these uh, issues. It is, a, a, and you know, the repayment plan, uh, as everybody probably remembers, the obligation, uh, the maximum that you could require a tenant to pay would be one third of the monthly rent. So, for folks that had pretty high balances that accumulated through COVID. Know, those payment plans would stretch on for a really long time, um, and and odds are you would never see the 
the back part of that or even all of that repaid. So it really put a strain on landlords in terms of the rent that they were sort of forced to to sit on, um, you know, and, and um, that's it's unfortunate um, that they had to, to deal with that because it did put a lot of strain, especially on the smaller landlords. Um, but nowadays we are we're, we're sort of back to normal a little bit. Um, we've got some additional changes to Washington landlord law. Um, as it relates to um, some aspects of eviction actions, and I can touch on those in a second, um, but also to um, some security deposit and accounting uh, obligations that have changed pretty recently as well. And, uh, and again, on some of these changes, this is statewide in the state of Washington. This is not in you know Clark County or Vancouver or Spokane. It's statewide that these are going through. Yep, statewide. So, so the changes to the eviction resolution pilot program uh, that sunset by statute. So, so that statute okay. was uh, 59.18.660, and um, that that expressly sunset as of July one. Um, and the repayment plan obligations that's uh, that's just embedded into the statute in terms of kind of the what I had indicated uh, the interplay there. Gotcha. Okay. So let's talk about kind of what's in place now and what's you know what's kind of changed and gives people some highlights on that. So we had two pretty big recent changes that were enacted in in uh, I think it was late May and they became uh, effective uh, as of July 23rd. So the okay. two bills that I'm talking about, uh, Senate Bill 5197 and HB 1074. Um, and 15197, that deals with some technical changes to evictions um, and the like. And then uh, 1074 is the changes to um, accounting and security deposit obligations for, um, for the landlord. Is it more restrictive in terms of how you do uh, security deposits? Are you, I mean, have you briefed your clients on what they need to do with this? Yeah, so so anybody that that has property on both sides of of the river, um, particularly in Portland, um, remembers sort of the the fair obligations, the Portland Fair Ordinance, in terms of documenting the condition of the property um, before you can uh, withhold monies from the deposit for things like damages. Um, a lot of people remember the the obligation to document the fixtures, appliances, uh, condition of the carpet, all of those sorts of things. That obligation uh, in, in similar aspects now exists in Washington with wow. HB 1074. Um, so HB 1074, um, basically it embedded uh, a definition of what um, normal wear and tear is, except they don't call it normal wear and tear, they call it wear resulting from ordinary use of the premises. So it's just it's normal wear and tear. That's that's what we all know it as. So that has a statutory definition in Washington now. The with respect to the prohibitions on withholding for damages, um, landlords were required to do a checklist or a, a sort of move in, uh, move in, move out checklist condition report that was in there. Um, it's a bit more stringent now in that it by statute you're not allowed to, and it expressly says that you you cannot withhold money from the deposit if you do not document the condition of the property. So it's a, it's an express limitation on that, uh, much like Portland had put in place um, once FAIR went into to effect in, on, in the Portland city limits. 
But I know in Portland there was the issue where you had to find, you know, what the original cost was of the appliance, and we had issues with people that had bought properties and didn't buy the dishwasher, and then, you know, having to do a depreciation schedule. Is it is it that restrictive, or is it just more of a notification period and having to document? Not that restrictive, um, thankfully, because uh, that that became a little bit uh, ridiculous. The the language just uh, basically requires that the landlord, you know, reasonably document the condition of the premises. Um, you know, things like uh, depreciation value in terms of of carpets and things like that. Um, you know, those sorts of things landlords generally do take into account. Um, you know, they don't need to be told to do that. They they don't need to be told that a you know, a 20 year old carpet, um, you know, if a tenant moves out, you know, you're not going to be charging them to, for the full replacement of, of, of that carpet. It's got some, it's got some miles to it. Um, right. but it, it basically just requires that landlords reasonably document the condition of the property in the checklist. Um, you know, there's forms available for that. Uh, what I, what I have been telling my clients is look, pictures still, still tell, a, a you know, a thousand words. They, they, they tell the story. Um, so if you're documenting the condition of the premises, obviously that checklist, that move in, move out report is going to be good for you, but pictures don't hurt pictures, pictures tell everything. The requirements of that I think is met there in terms of documentation. So, okay. So are you thinking it's going to be the rest of the year? It'll be a little bit easier and then, you know, across the river in Washington and as opposed to, you know, some of the, I don't say heartache, but just, it was just a little bit more difficult, uh, based on what was coming out of Olympia. It was. It was. It was challenging. Um, I would say, as things go, folks are going to start seeing a bit more normalcy, a bit more of a, okay. you know, uh, an easier process as it relates to unlawful detainer cases. Um, you know, uh, the right to counsel still there, so we work with attorneys all the time um, in terms of uh, of eviction cases, um, and uh, you know, the process has become a lot easier because. The, the amount of forms that landlords need to deal with and the, the amount of rules and restrictions that they have have, have gone away. Um, the, the big sort of thing that I am still seeing and that I want folks to, to be aware of is in Washington, the, the CARES Act issue and uh, with respect to the Federal CARES Act um, is, is a hot button topic up in Washington. It's, it's um, if your property is a covered property under the CARES Act, um, then it's going to be a 30-day pay-or-vacate notice as opposed to the standard 14-day pay-or-vacate notice. And when we have eviction cases, that's, that's really the first line of defense that I see tenants' attorneys look at. They, they look at whether the property is a covered property. And what's um, a covered property, again, just to highlight for people that don't know, don't remember, yeah, so, um, what's a covered so property in the CARES Act? If you've got a federally-backed mortgage, so like a, a Fannie or Freddie mortgage, uh, that's, that's, on that's going to to hit you there, um, you know, if, if the, the tenant that you have or if you're subject to any sort of federal housing programs like LIHTC, um, you know, your tenant's a Section 8 tenant, um, that's going to be, it's going to make you a covered property as well. So, yeah, so as a, you know, in your line of work, you've got to ask them what the debt is on the property before you can decide what the line of, you know, what action you take in terms of on the operation side. I typically rely on, on my clients a lot. They, they, you know, we've coached them up quite a bit to, right. to know what their property is, whether it's a covered property. But when I'm drafting notices for my clients, um, you know, I will typically uh, ask them right out of the chute, is this a covered property or not? And, and a lot of times I'll, you know, I'll either get an answer or I'll get what's a covered property. 
Right, right. Interesting. Okay. Well, thank you for taking the time to kind of give us a quick update. I'm sure we'll be talking again. It seems like we're doing this on a, almost a quarterly basis, trying to get updates. I'm hoping that we slow down a little bit on all the changes and we can all kind of get our breath and, you know, like you said, get back to some normalcy and, and how we do this, uh, this process. So thank you again for uh, enlightening our uh, audience. Our entire office specializes in multifamily real estate, making HFO the largest multifamily brokerage in the Pacific Northwest. Your success is our passion. Build your legacy with HFO. Call 503-241-5541 or visit our website at hfore.com for more information. HFO is an affiliate of the Global Real Estate Advisor Network.